0: There's an old Jewish proverb that goes—well, actually, let's stop there. Every Jewish proverb is old. They're all old. No one's ever like, oh, there's a new Jewish proverb. And it goes, if you listen to Paul's boutique three times on the Sabbath, you'll never have a shortage of bread. (laughs) That doesn't exist. They're all old proverbs. So here's one. There's an old Jewish proverb that goes, as you teach, you learn. Well, my guest today on the program, she teaches, she learns, and she makes amazing music. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out.
1: Sometimes the gift comes early. Sometimes you have to wait. Sometimes it's wrapped. At the gate. Sometimes a gift comes from someone you'd never expect or believe. Sometimes it comes from nowhere, and you just need to receive.
0: The music of my guest today on the program, Alison Faith Levy. Let me tell you a little bit about Allison Faith Levy. Well, let's face it. The California-raised Allison Faith Levy can tell her story far better than I can, and she's about to do it. So, before we get to her, here are some highlights from her marvelous career. She was in the post-game theory outfit The Loud Family. She's one half of the McCabe and Mrs. Miller duo, the other half being Camper Van Beethoven's Victor Krumenacher, and you might also know her from the alt-rock-for-kids outfit The Sippy Cups. Allison's always busy, but somehow, between making all that music and raising a family with her husband Danny Plotnick, she went on to receive a master's degree at Boston's Hebrew College in 2000. She now serves as a cantorial soloist and educator at two Bay Area synagogues, and she has a new album. Her third solo effort, You Are Magic, is a joyful blast of effusive and thoughtful pop for adults and kids alike. The album's mission statement is to open up dialogue in families about all sorts of stuff that families should be talking about. You know, stuff like ethics, expression, mindfulness, and creativity. You Are Magic is a brilliant and refreshing collection that's inspiring, heartwarming, and rousing. And this conversation... Well, I think it falls into all three of those categories. So here's me and Allison Faith Levy having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
2: My grandmother would kind of bring everybody together for holidays. Um, She was really kind of like the Jewish um, connector for our family. But we what was interesting was my particular family was very assimilated. They sort of in the 50s just kind of like went full on into American culture and the Jewishness kind of dissipated over time. So by the time I came on the scene, we really were not that observant at all um you know we'd fast on Yom Kippur we do Hanukkah and Christmas um you know it was just it was like a little bit confusing I didn't have a bat mitzvah um didn't go to any kind of um religious school didn't we didn't really belong to a temple and um when we did go I'd feel a bit out of place and a little bit left out like I didn't know what was going on like I knew I was Jewish But I didn't understand what was happening. And so it was always a little bit of a slightly sorry. My dog just jumped out and I'm just going to close the door. I was
0: watching him go. Yeah, yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Um, So it wasn't really until I met my husband, Danny, and he grew up in a very observant, conservative Jewish family in Detroit. His dad was the executive director of the JCC. They grew up, you know, kosher home. He went to Hebrew school, all these things. Um, And it was just nice to kind of reconnect with it. Um, So really it, it, it sort of was more of when we had Henry and decided that we wanted to raise Henry in a Jewish home. And that's when I really started to reconnect with it and make peace with it on my own terms. Like, okay, here's the things about Judaism I really like. You know here's the things i don't really not so into here's how i'm going to piece this together for myself and through that just became much more excited and engaged
0: and and you grew up in where, where originally were you from
2: so i grew up on the peninsula okay so just south of san francisco we lived in new york until i was seven and then we moved out here and i grew up in california and then i went to nyu i was always very pulled to new york in fact i spent every summer on long island my grandparents lived um on the beach in long island and so i would go back there for the summer so i'd get my hit of like new york jew culture there so i think that also helped reinforce my connection to it yeah um you know just feeling like oh i am part of this community um it, it's yeah it was it it took me a while to connect to what my places in the world of in the Jewish community and
0: well, what it means we're very to similar me. because I I mean my parents were both from the Bronx but I was raised I'm from Marin originally, and uh, but my dad went to NYU and so oh. but, but we didn't but we were I also didn't have I didn't have a bar mitzvah so we didn't none mm-hmm. of that happened um, and I, my and my connection to it on a cultural level uh, is very strong. Um, like through comedians, the idea of taking something that's terrifying, like the Holocaust, or something like a, a, your heart, a heartbreak, something on a, on a more quotidian level, and humor is a great way for me. And I notice it as a, it's a cultural kind of touchstone to disarm the scary stuff, um, or as Joan Rivers would say, shrink the dragon. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got it on that level. And I so anyway, but it's really interesting for me to hear you say that later on in your life, you started connecting with it on your own terms and connecting with it kind of hard, like it really started to land with you. Right.
2: I've always had sort of philosophical and spiritual leanings just as a person. Um, so I think that when I was able to connect that with the sort of, um, with Judaism, then it really just like, yeah, it kind of opened me up in a way, but I think that the community kind of pulled me in, um, <laughs> by way of the things, you know, that the, you know, doing music and teaching kids and doing all these things. And then it would be like. I teach in this little Jewish setting and I teach in this little Jewish setting. And then the more I did, the more I was like, oh wait, what's that random holiday I've never heard of? I wanna learn about that. And then I would just go down these little rabbit holes and I'd also learn about just all these other things like these beautiful values, these midot, mitzvot, and all these things I didn't know about before. And I was like, this is just like a treasure trove of beautiful wisdom and history that um you know and then we sent henry to a jewish day school for middle school and i became very um connected in that community it just it kind of just all evolved naturally
0: yeah Uh, it sounds very organic when you when you put it like this when you talk about it does it surprise you that it happened or yeah
2: well it does when you say it hit me hard i'm going wow because i there was you know most of my adult life up until then I considered myself an atheist um and I still don't you know I mean not to get too not to parse it too deeply, but i I don't believe in a patriarchal monotheistic you know God in the sky. That's not my thing and we wound up founding a Jewish finding a Jewish community that that was okay and the language was slightly you know reconstructionist so we, the language is slightly different um And that that I realized that that Judaism is a tradition of questioning and of um, interpretation. Everything we do in Judaism is about reinterpreting and questioning and turning things around and looking and looking. It's, It's basically literary criticism, like nonstop. Right. Torah study. And so I realized, like, I love that, that we're taking these ancient, ancient pieces of wisdom and traditions and rituals and constantly reinventing them, reinterpreting them and making them relevant today. And to me, that just seemed endlessly rich and fun and cool. And to do it with kids is even better because it's it, there's just so much. And when you really distill it down to its its core essence, it's like universal good things, you know? be a good person, take care of the earth, you know, reach out to someone who needs help, you know, open your heart, be a, be a big part of the community. You know, there's things that everyone can benefit from.
0: And there are parts of it that you probably that probably don't feel very contemporary. There are parts exactly. that, right, that feel um, you know, that you'd like to sort of t- remove because they feel like Maybe demeaning is the wrong word, but it, it feels like they're it's really patriarchally, yeah. Right? It, there's a real patriarch running through, um, you know, the way that men and women are are treated. Exactly. Um, so and so you found this, you found this community. Um, how did you find a community that actually was was so w- would tweak the language in the way that was that felt?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just really lucky. You know, yeah. we were we were. <sighs> I think Henry was in maybe like third grade and we realized that if he, you know, we really needed to join a community and get him engaged in that's usually around the age when if you haven't done it yet, that's the time for your kids to start getting, you know, he didn't go to a Jewish preschool or anything like that. And we just thought, you know, it's time for him to start learning a little Hebrew, start getting making some Jewish friends. We just felt like it was time. And we had another family um, who we were very close with, who had our kids around the same time, who um, we were all shul shopping, as we call it, you know, looking for. <laughs> um, and we found this both. We just found this community where it was a lot of um, families with kids, our kids age, um, a lot of families who lived in our sort of general area in San Francisco and just seemed like a cool, like intellectual kind of artsy. Uh, community and then as we got more into it realized that like the their whole uh the reconstructionist movement is all about sort of um you know taking some of that language and making it more inclusive um you know a, feminizing the language a little bit here and there to make it make it feel less um patriarchal and that just happened to be a a, a wonderful um bonus uh you know that we hadn't necessarily been seeking out but then i just became really um close with the rabbi there and then they asked me to start come and teach some classes for the kids you know some music and i was like and i kept saying i'm not jewish enough i'm not jewish enough i don't know what i'm doing and they're like you're fine you've been playing music for kids you know what you're doing and i would come and i would just start teaching myself more and more, you know, Jewish songs and a little bit of Hebrew. And, you know, I was just sort of doing it on my own, really out of necessity at first, just so that I could come in there and know what I was doing. Um, and then the more I did it, the more it just felt like this is the right thing for me. This feels right. Like this world, this community, this music, this, these kids, like everything I'm doing here, just all of a sudden was like, oh this feels so nice and like i'm doing something good for somebody
0: right <laughs> and we all want to feel that way you of know of course of course and <laughs> and what you're describing i think people know this that is not common to have that sort of in our lives how many times do we get to say this kind of clarity? to have this kind of clarity where you go this is right for me. This is good. This feels good. This is correct.
2: Well, and that came after years and years. I mean, you know, I've been playing music in bands and touring and just doing all kinds of stuff. Um, I always thought I was headed in a certain direction, but there were always things about it that didn't feel quite right. But I thought that that was what I had to do. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. You mean in terms of to get to where you thought you were going, you had to pay these kinds of dues, be in this band, you know, go on the road in this way, uh, even though maybe it didn't feel really all that great.
2: There were things about it I loved. And then there were just things about it that always I, I pushed against and I pushed against it them in ways that weren't at the time weren't, um, I wasn't super conscious of why I was doing these certain things, like sort of self sabotage kind of thing. You know, it was just things that, I realized that uh, that something wasn't right about that pathway. There were things about it that weren't right. And then when, when I started to feel what it what felt like to find something that was right, it was just like,
0: yeah (laughs) like you like you you settle in and you go oh like oh like feels like a like a comfortable bath like you're like i'm in i'm locked in yeah
2: and maybe 20 years ago it wouldn't have felt that way you know at that time that's what i wanted to be doing and that's fine you know but at some point especially when you get you know you get a little older and maybe you haven't reached the level that you would think you were going to get to especially in as a musician it is hard it's a hustle it's a grind it's a constant push and at some point i was just like i got it whatever you know i just want to i just want to do something meaningful i want to be a part and i and it's very isolating too like i really wanted to just be a part a real integral part of a community and feel like super connected because even when I was I was teaching music and I was popping into all these different schools as a as a independent contractor and then I would leave and I'm like I don't even know those kids names like I was just like that's not
0: <laughs> right right I mean it sounds to me like you were looking for a little more stability and it's, and stability comes from a community and being in an indie rock band where you're you know in, in this scenario getting in a van and driving to and know,
2: that is a community
0: it is it's a
2: it, very tiny little community
0: and it's not a stable one
2: <laughs> and it's fun i mean i'm sure. glad I, i'm glad i did it you know i'm glad i'm i'm glad that i had all those experiences
0: so you know i, I don't know i admire a lot of those punk bands where they were secretly studying for their law degrees you know or yeah. like the guy from Bad Religion was, he was getting his PhD in the back of the van or Milo going to college from The Descendants. Exactly. Right? Um, it's like those people had, they had vision of, the Henry Rollins idea of getting in a van is very cool, but not that cool when you're when you're 47, right? Exactly. It's not sustaining.
2: And I think that also, I, I especially, I know among my peers in the music world that, There's a lot of um, bitterness and anger if they didn't get to where they thought they were going to be. And at some point, you know, I I really haven't. That hasn't happened to me because I just sort of transitioned naturally into this new place. Um, I just kind of kept following where things would lead me, you know, like just. Kept following the path of like, where were things opening up for me and and where should I go now? Um, and I'm I'm very happy that I decided to go back to school, like you were saying, like, go back to school, get a degree. But I know a lot of musicians, you know, my age who are. They don't know what to do, and they still have a lot of um, resentment that they didn't get to where they thought they were going to be. And they feel like the the world owes them something um, for all. It's like it's it's a crapshoot, you know, like it's not guaranteed no matter how talented you are. I have worked with people who I consider probably the most talented songwriters ever to walk this planet, especially Scott from the Loud Family Game Theory. I mean, I feel like he's, you know, and um, there's just there's no guarantee. And um, we all have to widen our our reach and our horizons and like give ourselves some other opportunities
0: right right and it also seems to me like you were like your heart was open i know that sounds very cliche no that's true though you know what i mean like it Mm -hmm. sounds like you were you were listening to what the universe was saying
2: right it could have been really easy for me to go well that's not really gonna get me you know here Um, so I'm just going to kind of ignore that, (laughs) but I, I did listen. Yes.
0: (laughs) Right. And and in terms of when you decided to go back to school, was that a sort of, um, that's quite an undertaking because you didn't do it at, you didn't do it at 23, right? You went back, you'd had already had this life. Um, was there something psychologically daunting about that? Or were you just like up for the challenge the whole time?
2: I was totally up for it. Mm -hmm. You know, I was so I was feeling under stimulated intellectually, too. I'm a very like I love to learn. I love to read. I love to dig into big projects. And I was sort of playing show after show after show. I was bored. And um, so not only was I ready to switch careers, but I was also ready to be challenged. I love to write. I love to study. Um, So I was, I mean, I guess, no, I was excited. (laughs) Once I figured out that that's what I was going to do, I jumped in all the way and I loved every second of it. I loved being in graduate school.
0: Did you do it remotely or did you actually do it? Yeah. And this was
2: pre-COVID. Yeah. The school, I, the program I went to was all online. They use Zoom and like platform where we would have all our assignments. And um, it was amazing. I did go visit a few times for conferences and things like that. So, um, but yeah, it was just, um, it felt so good to realize that I don't have to just do one thing. I can diversify. I can write. I can do art. I can think. I can use my brain. You know, that felt really good.
0: What happened to your creative brain once you went through this process? Did it, did it open it up? How do you, in other words, is the creative process for you richer now than it was say 15 years ago?
2: Oh, definitely. Mm. Definitely. You know, I have no idea what my next Music project would look like, but just to be able to think as an educator, um, you're constantly. It's so funny you asked that because literally right before we got on here, I was making these, (laughs) which are because I'm about to train uh, some teachers that are going to be working with me, and these are webs for teaching. So basically, in the middle, you would write the big idea. So say whatever the subject you want to teach, right? So for these teachers, for example, they're Jewish for kids. So it's like, okay, pick a Jewish holiday. Okay, you write Hanukkah right here, right? And then in the circles, write down like four big things that you know about Hanukkah, right? So you write, okay, the, the menorah with the eight candles, you know, latkes, Judah and the Maccabees, whatever, you know, and then in the squares, write, uh, for, like, activities that you could do to do, right? So, that's like kind of I, this is something I learned in grad school. But when you're asking me this question, I'm thinking, you could write a song this way, you know, or you could, this is a really good roadmap for any sort of creative project. And so, it's, tr- I've trained my brain to start to be able to parse things into big ideas, sub ideas, you know, blah, blah, blah. So, um, in a way, my brain now functions in in a much more interesting way.
0: (laughs) It's weird because it's almost like you've given it the freedom to be tangential and also organized.
2: Tangential and organized. I like that.
0: That'll be on my gravestone.
2: (laughs) Right? I was, he was tangential yet organized.
0: (laughs) And then it'll say in parentheses. P-Y-O. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that the, and I, and I was looking at the diagram and I thought for me, cause I'm a teacher as well. And I think like, that'd be a great way to sort of diagram an essay.
2: Yes, right? you can use these for, I can send you the, the, I just made these on Canva just today because- These are great. But, but I learned um, in one of my courses at Hebrew college, there was a um, woman who's like really a master of curriculum web, it's called webbing. Um, but you can use it for anything to organize your thought process for essays, uh, for everything. So it's, you know, I used it when I had to start planning my thesis. You know, it's just, um, I mean, it had like 500 circles going off in every direction. I mean, this is a very simple one for just an exercise, but anyway.
0: In, in terms of your own songwriting, right, like doing, writing songs, um, how do you assess your, the way you approach it now versus the way you used to approach it?
2: Well, I mean, this record is really interesting because it evolved this, the songs on this record evolved as I was making this transition. So some of the writing started before I went back to school, and some of it happened during. And then the recording sort of happened, you know, it, it was kind of simultaneous. So this record's really special, because it also reflects my own journey, and sort of distilling some of these ideas and some of these things that I've learned. Um, you know, my, my goal is always to come from a authentic place, yet write really good, solid songs. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I mean, songwriting comes first for me. I mean, that's one thing that's always been a little quibble of mine with kids music is that the songwriting tends to be secondary to the concept or idea that they're trying to get across you know like you just listen to three chords singing about whatever you know it's just it's just i don't know i could go on and on about that but um it'll be interesting to see where i go next with songwriting because i've written a couple of Basically, I just finished leading the High Holy Days for the first time as a musician, as a cantorial soloist, led, led the whole thing. And I wrote one setting for one liturgical piece. And I'd never done that before. It's all in Hebrew. And it was just like, whoa. But then when you got down to it, it was it was a song. You know, it's just a song with a different intention. So I'm rambling, but I don't know, honestly. I kind of like the fact that I don't really know.
0: Well, it gets back to what we were saying about Judaism, which is the idea of like questioning and 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 not really knowing the answers. Right. But sort of the analysis and sort of theorizing about
2: it. Yeah, because my goal, it's so funny, because if you had asked me this question, whatever, 20 years ago, like my goal as a songwriting as a songwriter was to write just the most ridiculously complicated pop song imaginable. <laughs> you know, like if I could write as well, I just wanted to be Andy Partridge. It's like, can I just write and, and you know, there's someone like to me. That's it doesn't get any better, right? Like, right. <laughs> I mean, as far as pop songwriting, no, there you go.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, so, so it was you know, some someone like that, you know, or it's just like, okay, how can I be as just? How can I write a middle eight that's completely complex, and then have a verse that's doing this, and a chorus that's doing this, and all oh, this tricky wordplay and blah blah blah? And it was all about that. And then. When I started doing music, I don't know if you know about this project I did with Victor Kriminacher. No, I didn't, but he's been on. He's been on the show. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, so Victor and I have an album out. I don't know if you know this album. We have a band called McCabe and Mrs. Miller. Victor and I made one record together, but and we wrote everything together. But Victor, um, what was great is that Victor has um, a really different songwriting style than I do you know, he's so much more rooted in sort of traditional, you know, American roots and blues and sort of country roots and whatever. And um, even though we both come from crazy complicated indie rock, um, when we came together for that project, we were like, okay, we're going to just distill this down to its essence and let the Um, musicianship come through, let the singing come through, let the personalities come through. And we're going to peel back some of those layers of tricky songwriting. Let's see how simple we can get. And let's use traditional forms. Um, So this record that records all just kind of it's it's Americana, I guess you would call it, you know, sort of country blues roots, whatever. Um, But that exercise really helped me to kind of peel off some of those Earlier ideas I had about how songwriting had to be so over the top, complicated, in order to be satisfying. Um, so then I was able that that kind of helped me move into a new place where I, I don't always have to do that. Now is the
1: moment we've been waiting for. Now is the moment now. is the moment we've been waiting for
0: now is the moment
1: now it's your time it's my time it's our time now it's your time it's my time it's our
0: To be Andy Partridge, I would imagine that. Yeah, I mean, he really is (laughs) such a genius that, like, if
2: that's—I don't know why he's the example I came up with, but I mean, it's just like because that's like the pinnacle of just,
0: yeah, crazy
2: amazing songwriting.
0: Right, I get, and it's and it's very intricate, and Mm -hmm. um, and he's and he's incredibly complicated in in how he how his brain works, obviously from a songwriting standpoint, um, and I think that you know, when he's sort of the touchstone, I mean, he's, that's a, that's a tough one. That's like, I want to be like Tolstoy, you know? It's like,
2: exactly. Exactly.
0: Like, like, <laughs> what's your novel like? Well, it's, it's kind of like Anna Karenia, um, but shorter, which, oh, by the way, Henry
2: is reading that right now for his Russian novels class at the I new mean, school.
0: How do you do better than that?
2: I mean, I'm just,
0: it's, I'm cavelling. Yeah, that's, listen, that's, that was the, uh, drums and wires of the literary world. I'll uh, have
2: to tell him you said that. That's a great, th- I'm going to tell him that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: He's,
2: yeah, that's such I, a I, great
0: I, comparison. I love it. I love you, it. You get, you totally get it. And you know, the thing is, okay, I have two things to say about what you said. So I want to go, just for a second, I want to say that children's music in the hands of Dan Zanes or Peter Himmelman, or you mm-hmm. is more, is, is better it's better in your hands because it's you' you guys are craftsmen you guys know how to write a song
1: mm-hmm. and i
0: think that it's not like oh the message is more important than anything else and it's like well the message it's sort of like putting the medicine in the like for the cat right when the cat needs some medicine you put it in the book you kind of have to bake it all together and i think that sometimes if it's just a message it's empty mm-hmm. um, and i think the, the songwriting is the delivery system that has to be there so I, i'm I'm listening to what peter himmelman is doing and dan um, and claudia and you and i think that this is the new fleet um oh. of, of of american songwriters for children that this is the way to do it it's in the right hands now it took me a long time to say that but you know what i mean
2: well i understand and you know i i had a children's band before when henry was really little called the sippy cups and that was also a big goal of ours and those records are big they're well produced the songs are really well written and you know i i'm still really proud of what we did and it was the same idea where it was just like we're not gonna dumb this down and we're not gonna go lowest common denominator we're gonna make the songs the way we want to make them and they're gonna sound just as good and can stand up to anything else we would be doing whether for and you know this new record i definitely you know every record i make i'm like is this, is this too much for kids? Like, are they just going to be like, you know, I've done some songs that it kind of pushed the limit, you know, like I, I think, I don't know. Cause it's just like, it's my own honest thing. It's my own, you know, I go crazy with the production. I have a great time. I'm, you know, whatever. i want to make a song that sounds like Elvis Costello. Like there's a song on my last record that literally sounds like it's off, get happy on purpose. Um, and I'm thinking like, what kid is going to relate to this? But they loved it. It was one of the most popular songs on the record. The kids love it. It's just because the energy is there. The feeling is there. And honestly, the song is about taking care of the sick animals in the classroom. You know, so it's like, they get it. But it sounds like Elvis Costello.
0: (laughs) Yeah. But again, I I mean, I think, listen, Elvis Costello (laughs) is pretty catchy. So
2: I would think, (laughs) you know.
0: Like pushing it, do you mean in terms of musically, not lyrically, you mean like, are you are you making it too well
2: lyrically hard? too like i yeah, have yeah. a couple of things that you know i have you know i have a song called eye of the tornado that was on my first record for kids that's that's about um feeling overwhelmed and wanting to hide you know it's really it's about anxiety you know i have a song about insomnia i mean i have songs that are about things that i struggle with but written in a way that kids can relate to because I feel like kids have kids have anxiety yeah but it doesn't ever say the word anxiety it just says like everything around me is moving too fast i want to go somewhere and just hide right that's anxiety but i don't call it anxiety and i don't say what it is but it's like yes we all have that feeling um So I try to, I try to reach in the things that I wrestle with, um, and make them, make them simplify the language so children can understand, but those feelings are real.
0: Yeah. And mental health is, is real at any age. Right.
2: Mm -hmm. And I
0: think a lot of times, um, if, uh, when you and I were growing up, if a fifth grader said, oh, I'm sad sometimes, or I, you know, they would go, well, you'll be okay.
2: (laughs) Or we'd say we need to get you medicated. Right.
0: (laughs) right, <laughs> right. It be, you know, it's also it's, a terrible answer totally, right so it's ignored or it's medicated and what about
2: if we just sat down and say what really what are you sad about
0: exactly right what if we talked about it They're I'm about-
2: sad too sometimes like let's talk about that everyone feels sad sometimes
0: yeah, it's I'm- all right
2: to cry <laughs> do you remember that I do. <laughs> I do yeah there you go I, I mean free to be you and me is like my touchstone I grew up on that It shaped me.
0: (laughs) I know. Looking back at it now, I go, how did that hippie stuff just, how did it get so accessible? I mean, it really is like so hippie seventies.
2: Oh my God. Right. But this whole feminist, like Ms. Magazine, like girls are just as good as boys do, 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 you know, the whole gender neutrality thing that they were trying to do even back then, which, and then kind of took a nosedive and didn't really, I don't know.
0: They they were way ahead of their time with that record. Way ahead of their time, and the fact that it went mainstream and in that into that regard, uh, to that degree, is remarkable and very cool. Yes, but you're right, very forward thinking, very ahead of its time. Um, do you still listen to like you've mentioned Elvis Costello? You mentioned Andy Partridge. Um, do you still listen to the old stuff? Do you still like put it on in the car? Is that oh, is it, definitely. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah
2: I mean I go through phases of whatever it is that I just dig into you know I mean I just watched that McCartney three two one then then that got me down a little Beatles rabbit hole we um and my husband and I both love the kinks so much and we had and Henry too loves the kinks our family's probably our fa- favorite band of our family is the kinks and um so a couple of years ago we had a kink right before covid we had a kinks party where I invited all my musician friends We had, so I had Backline set up in the backyard. We have a big backyard. So I set up Backline and I just had, every one of my musician friends sign up to do one or two Kinks covers. And it was so joyful because Ray Davies catalog is so big and every song is so good. And it was just like this, "Ah!" (laughs) (laughs) Oh,
0: Yeah. Even the lesser known Kinks albums are unbelievable. They're
2: all good. Yeah, it's great. I mean, I wouldn't say every song is great, but there's, yeah, it's pretty, like his batting average is probably better than most.
0: Oh, yeah. He's a lifetime uh, 340 hitter. I put him in Ted Williams, Ted Williams uh, terrain. And he's, I feel
2: like he's the songwriter I've ripped off the most um, as far as, you know, little phrases here and there is musical phrases, you know, I just feel like sometimes I'll, I'll write something and I'll just be like,
0: oh the hat to ray davies i know where that came from from. i wouldn't
2: say ripped off i'd say homage
0: yes homage yeah and i i do think that that you mentioned get happy and it's sort of like what an exhilarating album of music (gasps) right exhilarating it just it doesn't stop it's not false advertising you really do get happy
2: it's you know and then occasionally i will hear uh one of those you know early Motown or Stack songs that he grabbed some of those phrases from you know because I don't know where every single I know that a lot of those phrases that he used in that in those songs the musical phrases and the arrangements he grabbed from old R&B songs and every once in a while I'll I'll notice one and I'll go oh there's that thing I'd love to see him do a dissection of of that record because I just find I find that record so just fascinating and amazing it's one yeah it's one one of my favorite albums of all mine
0: too um to me scott miller was sort of the northern california version of andy partridge like he was sort of like our hit the complexity yes. in, in terms of his writing not, he's been such a massive influence on my own work oh uh, you know and even like in game theory sort of mythologizing you know the kids from the 916 and it's like oh it's almost like he was like live tweeting what was happening (laughs) at the time right yes Um, he he, you know he spoke to me in a way that was so profoundly impactful Um, oh i
2: love to hear that oh he was
0: unbelievable and the things he was talking about were things i knew about and i was like i've driven past that street i know what those people look like i know how it feels to feel the way Scott Miller says he feels. Yes. Um, and so he really was, I, I really related incredibly well to his work. What was it like to work alongside him um, mm. with that kind of pop complexity? Did you pick up any any tips from how he worked?
2: Well, first of all, I mean, I was such a fan, like such a game theory fan. Me too. And was excited when the Loud family started. I was plants and birds and rocks and things was just like like you know um so when um you know when i was able to actually join the band which is kind of a funny story i don't know if you know how i I don't know that actually Okay. okay so uh paul who was the keyboard player before me in the loud family i had heard that he was leaving i think through just the fan network right of just like oh did you hear paul's leaving the loud family and i was just like That's my chance, right? But literally, I had not. I'd only really played piano like I had never done anything of what Shelley in the game in game theory had done or what Paul had done in love. I mean, all that stuff. I was I had no idea. So at some point, um, Scott's girlfriend at the time, Shalini, who he married, um, Shalini Chatterjee, he was married to for a short time. She had a band. I don't even remember the name of the band, but i found out that i was so wily i found out they were playing at i think it was the edinburgh castle remember did you ever go to oh gig there of course back in the 90s best so i found i think i found out they were playing and i got an opening slot and at the time i was doing my like piano singer songwriter thing you know with my little band and um so we play our set and i had met scott before because he knew me just because i was a crazy fan so i would just like go up and say hi to him at (laughs) shows He's like yeah (laughs) i love you yeah and um he's like oh god there's that girl right and then uh so we played the gig and then i got up the nerve and thank god i did this because he made me so nervous i went up to him and i said hey um i hear that paul is leaving the Loud family and he's like yeah and i said um so what kind of keyboard player are you looking for what are you looking for and he goes well actually someone like you would be really great and i went oh my god <laughs> so that that was so then basically i came in and we played together and it worked out and we we got along great we were so anyway that's just a funny story that i was so that's kids Let me tell you that if there's something that you really want, you
0: got to go ask for it.
2: Go ask. Right. Right. The worst that can happen. They say
0: no. Right. I heard uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus said, don't say no for them. Give them a chance to say no. He could have been like, I don't know. Right. I'll call you. So. (laughs) But working with him was.
2: I felt like. A, I had to learn zillions of keyboard tricks and parts and sounds that I had never done before. You know, I had this keyboard that had a bank of 500 presets and he gave me, (laughs) but I wanted to get that like dirty gritty sound that Shelly had like that, uh, you know? Oh, yeah. And so I used a yard box, which was basically the the yard birds like fuzz pedal thing. He gave it to me. He's like, here, plug this into your I, I ran my digital keyboard through a yard box distortion pedal into a bass amp. And somehow I was able to get all the crazy game theory and loud family keyboard sounds. You know,
0: (laughs) that's how you did it. That's so cool.
2: And he would we would just sit and go through the banks of sounds and try to find where they were, and then I would learn the parts and some of the parts from the old songs you know, I had to learn note for note because, you know, you're going up there to play We Love You, Carolyn and Allison. People want to hear the real thing. They don't, you know, so I, um, it was like graduate school for music. Right. It was the greatest experience ever. I mean, I, I was like, pinch me, is this really... I would go to rehearsal we rehearsed twice a week for three hours tuesdays and thursday nights it was the like high point of my week i would just get to like learn how to play scott miller's songs with gil ray playing drums you know
0: unbelievable
2: and i was just like it was a dream it was so much fun and then we started writing songs together too and that was just like and you know and it's funny because i I was always one of those like cranky fans he'd be like why does he let the other people in the band write songs like it should just all be him you know and then he'd be like oh don't you want to bring a song in and I'm like no you know I kept saying like I have my solo records I'll do that this is Scott like you you know eventually I did bring one in and we, we did that one but but just to be able to sing harmonies with him and to be able to do those intricate interweaving lines which I love so much that he always used to do with the girls in game theory and um I could go on and on. I mean, it was just like, and as we got further along and we started writing more together, I would find myself being kind of his foil in a way. Whereas like if he got too out there, I would be like, well, how can we pull that back? And then I'm thinking, why are you saying that? (laughs) What are you doing? And it's like, but I was like, how much can I simplify the, the the essence of what Scott's trying to do here, you know? And so it worked out well because there was a bit of a push and pull. Because um, sometimes the things he would he would try to do were so out there.
0: Um, you, you mean you mean musically? Musically, really doing some yeah. You can and, hear it, on, especially on those on those last two loud family records. It's like they're pretty intricate. Yeah. You know. They're pretty textured, and in terms of the, of the way he wrote lyrics, um, for anybody who doesn't know his work, just go listen. And I mean, oh. no one has better song titles, first of all. I mean, mm. Robert Pollard of Got a Bad Voices, maybe they're neck and neck, right? <laughs> right. But I mean, but but Scott I'm a Scott, huge GBV freak, so. <laughs> you know, but I, I give Scott the nod because you know his songs yeah. are longer, and I mean mm. you know and there's a real just the way that he. Um, His narratives are so interesting, and I've never seen a writer quite like him, Um, but yeah, remarkable. And I think a lot of terms of what we were talking about at the beginning, where it's sort of like, what is the end game for a band like The Loud Family, right? They they don't have ambitions to win a Grammy or sell millions of records, so what does that look like from 45 to 55? It's like
2: Well, and we would talk about that, because even, you know, post-Loud Family, you know, we certainly stayed friends, but he... And I'm not going to, I don't want to speak too much for him or his experience, but um, I think that, you know, Scott had a little bit of an old school feeling about like, well, we haven't made it, we're not going to reach this thing. So, you know, it was almost like I wanted him to just make art for art's sake. Right. Right. And I think he was frustrated that there wasn't more. And listen, he'd been doing it for so long without. And and I'm sure he was tired of people saying, why aren't you more famous? You know, why aren't you better recognized? And it's I have no answer for that. I know. I know. Because to me, he's one of the greatest songwriters that's ever lived. I mean, he really is just phenomenal. And um who knows you know and i don't think it's anything to do with the quality of the work but just no. the marketplace or the whatever you know we had a booking agent we had a label all these things and
0: just who knows yeah and and when you think about someone like Andy Partridge you think like oh andy partridge is famous and it's like not as famous as he should be right even, even andy partridge who i think is probably living comfortably yeah. um you know even he didn't really reach i think what he deserved um even robert pollard is you know the people that Rob- we love right i mean you know so it's or even like robin
2: hitchcock you know someone like robin hitchcock who right. you know during covid it's he's been a, he's been a very entertaining presence on social media during covid with his little like yeah. he and his girlfriend doing their cute little concerts and stuff and like and not someone else who you are you know who's done he's done very well um but still he's still hustling oh yeah, Keep yeah it going. I mean,
0: And and he uh, but the nice thing there is that he seems like he's very loved and he's right very now.
2: loved and and scott also there's such a really committed community around scott's music and they're still out there and they're still you know there's Facebook group where they all kind of post things. And um, so it's, it's really sweet that there's so much of, you know, I don't know, what are you going to do? It's like, I'm constantly just, you know henry plays in a rock band sometimes in new york and the lead songwriter is very pop and uh, fantastic music this kid is such a great songwriter i'm like tell him to listen to lolita nation i'm telling you that this is like the record he needs to hear um so yes. you know i'm constantly trying to get the
0: younger generation on board yeah you keep the idea is that you keep you keep people alive through their art right these i'm going to show you look at this i, I mean is so there awesome.
2: anything i mean lolita nation
0: ridiculous like i don't know if you're on this one but i just found look at this are you on oh no
2: that's that's before my time yeah
0: yeah this is this little
2: that's like the ep
0: yeah this is the slouching to liverpool look at this little it's like what is it it's a bigger it's not a 40 it's bigger than a 45 and smaller than a 30 10 inch yeah this is just a 10 inch what's on Uh, that uh uh take me down oh uh back of a car slip my wrist live Eric and live in the studio. The come on, back of a car. Okay, back of a car. Take me down. Yeah, this is great. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, take me down.
1: Take me down to (laughs) the So
0: good. (laughs) Um, But we. But you know these people that that, these amazing artists. They stay alive through their art, which is an amazing thing. Did you having being a parent and having raised Henry, (laughs) and then who's this remarkable kid? and then approaching the work as you did, did it help to have some parenting years under your belt? I would imagine that was probably really helpful.
2: Yeah, I mean, he definitely, you know, our conversations when especially when he was little and definitely inspired all the songs I wrote with the Sippy cups. Um, you know, just all the weird stuff we would talk about um, that, you know, and, I feel very comfortable around children, and I'm sure that comes from just having been a parent, um, and also having a kid like Henry, who is always just really good conversationalist, even when he was little, was just really fun to talk to. In like. Big ideas, and just he's one of these very deep thinkers. And like, I just spent the weekend with him in New York, and it was just like that hit of like, Henry just wants to talk about like a million things at once. And he's just so smart and so inquisitive, and just like a student of the world. And um, that inspires me because I think a lot of kids have that in them, and maybe it's not being brought out of them by whoever's around them or the environment that they're in. And I really want kids to have that. Uh, to know that that someone wants to listen to them, you know, and hear what they have to say and hear their crazy ideas because they're unfiltered. They're they're just you know they're imagine- imaginative. Whenever I he- hear kids playing with like doing imagination play, like just making stuff up, I'm just like ah, oh, that's that's like. To me that's god right like that's the thing that's the stuff that's coming up from inside you that's inspiration that's art that's like the you know you're just channeling this thing like
0: keep more of that (laughs) more of that and what i love that you have done with your son and i think this is great for parents to think about is that you let him be who he who he is and it seems like you you were able to it wasn't sort of like, well, he has to play soccer. He has to do these things. You just sort of he had the room and the space to be as Henry as he wanted to be. And that sounds really simple, but I can tell you, I know so many kids, um, because I have a side hustle where I teach tennis here in, or- in Orinda. And so many kids do not get that opportunity to be an artist, to be artistic, to have conversations with their parents that may not make sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but you did that. And I wonder, did that just feel natural to you to do? Or is that something that your parents did for you? Like, how do you think you were able to learn to give Henry the space to be who he who he really is?
2: I mean, my parents definitely did encourage me to kind of, um, you know, they're both very smart, very creative um, you know, were really encouraging of me to just kind of be, you know, there was an, a huge amount of pressure on me to succeed in any specific thing, but just to kind of follow my path. Um, so, you know, there's that. And also Henry, honestly, just kind of like, he sort of came out this fully formed human being that was going to follow this path of Henriness yes you know and we did I mean he did play a little soccer a little baseball a little hockey you know we tried to give him a little bit of those things just to see if they would stick and we were just having this conversation the other day with someone who was just like I mean you put Henry on a baseball field and he's just like do,
1: do, do, you
2: know like yeah you kick a soccer ball to him he runs the other direction I mean it was just like Mm-mm. but um but he actually played hockey for quite a few years. My husband's a, was a hockey player and, you know, amateur hockey player. But so he enjoyed that. So, you know, we wanted to give him some experience of team sports. But the, but as but as you're saying, like he um, was so um, just deeply inquisitive about everything and would get so deep like when he bef- before he could barely talk very well he became obsessed with john fahey at like the age of you know three and i mean this is when we knew this kid is just out there he because we we had all the john we you know we had all the john fahey cds and he just loved them and so we would play them for him and then he started to know and okay so for those of you who are not familiar with john fahey this is very intricate folk guitar finger style guitar playing um and he would know the names of every john fahey piece none of these have words people these are just <laughs> guitar pieces and he, you'd hear this little voice playing oh that's behind death That's it. You know, we're just like, oh, my God. And so, uh, you know, we knew that this kid was. You know, just on this path and. um, But yeah, so. He and he we he was so much fun. As a kid, because he would just get so into something. You know, whether it was like sea creatures or the Titanic or John Fahey or craft work or whatever it was that he would just get obsessed with and just talk about nothing else 24 seven. You know, that's how that's how he was. And so what are you going to do as a parent? Be like, no, craft work is not interesting. Of course, craft work is interesting. Tell me more. You know.
0: I, listen, let's have
2: fun on the Autobahn. I mean, I'm good.
0: Yeah. Like, let's go. <laughs> I just love the fact that there probably had to come a point where you had to say to him, Listen, you're eight years old, turn off craft work and go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> I just think that's so funny. That-
2: well, and he had to also understand at some point around that time that the other kids were not going to know what he's talking about. Right. You know, because like we showed him Koyan Askazi because he loved time lapse. And he loved like repetitive music. So we're like, well, if you like time-lapse and repetitive music, have we got the movie for you?
1: Yes. And
2: so, exactly. you know, so we show him Scotty, and that, I honestly think that that was like a huge turning point in his development as a human being. It just, you know, and we, we were like, you know, but if you have a friend over, they may not want to watch Koya Scotty with you, even though you really want them to. <laughs>
0: right. They might want to watch Up.
2: <laughs> yeah. So, you know, we had to kind of I mean, he learned he learned, you know, he found his people, but it took it took a little longer, you know, to find those other kind of odd kids that were strange like him. They all he's always been very friendly and outgoing, too you know but yet when you start talking to him and you're like what are you talking about
0: (laughs) (laughs) do you do you you think it's fair to say and and i'm asking this selfishly because i think that i want this to be the case for me too at this age do you feel more creatively alive than ever
2: i do and i feel less pressure Mm. um you know i just feel like my creativity now has lots of places to go you know it like for example this was really fun to make
0: (laughs) this diagram no i may have to steal this from you
2: (laughs) you know and i mean i just sat there doing that and it was super fun and that was creative and it wasn't like um Slugging it out in a rehearsal room for three hours with a band. It was just some other thing, you know, so um, I feel like So much freer now that I'm able to use my creativity in a lot of different ways And also that creativity doesn't have to have an end product. It doesn't have to have a market value It doesn't have to um ascribe to a specific genre or thing or medium, it just is the way you live can be creative. And that's my goal. And that's definitely my goal with this record of teaching to kids too. It's like, everything you do is, you know, you can do it with that intention of coming from an authentic place and bringing something new into the world. That's what
0: creativity is really. Outstanding. I was so looking forward to talking to you. I'm so glad we did this. And I'm I'm so grateful that you took the time to do it. Thank you. Um,
2: Thank you for having me. I'm so honored to be a guest on your podcast. It's, it's really, I'm touched and I oh, really appreciate it.
0: It's my absolute pleasure. And I hope you'll come back on. Anytime. Excellent. Well, yeah. um, it's great to meet you finally, after all these years of knowing about you, you know, tangentially. Right. Um, I feel like I feel like I you're very familiar to me in that sense, but it's nice to meet face to face.
2: It's great to meet you too. and um thank you again so much for for a really cool conversation.
0: Was a really cool conversation. Allison Faith Levy, she's the greatest, and her new album is marvelous. Go buy it. Great Hanukkah gift, great Christmas gift, great gift for any time of the season. You are magic is the name of the album. Go pick it up. AllisonFaithLevy.com is where you need to go to find out how to get it, what's going on with Allison. And uh, all the news in her life. I should point out that it's one L in her name. AllisonFaithLevy.com. Two L's. And you're dealing with a realtor in Arizona. You'll write to her and you'll be like, yeah, I'm looking for the You Are Magic album. And she'll be like, I don't know what you're talking about, but I'll tell you what's magic. This two-bedroom in Phoenix. One L in my name, too. com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. BombshellRadio.com will get you... All the information you need to know about our radio station, you can follow me on Twitter at Embers Editor. You can follow me on Instagram at Embers Podcast. You can also just email me, editor, at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate and review, tell a friend or two, and we would appreciate it. Let's close the show with a longer listen to The Gift from the album You Are Magic by Allison Faith Levy. Enjoy it and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio.
1: Sometimes the gift comes early. Sometimes you have to wait. Sometimes it's wrapped in paper. Sometimes Dropped at the gate. Mysterious love. Open the gift when it's given to you. You'll know.